0: Well, it's now 2024 and we are excited that you are here with us at Portrait Church, listening to our podcast. My name is Jay. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. And here's what we think. The best thing we can do as we start 2024 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are in a brand new series called Seek First where we are exploring what is the kingdom of God? Why should we seek it first? How should we respond to it? And what is the type of people God wants us to become in his kingdom? So we pray that as you start your 2024 year, that you would find value in seeking first God's kingdom and everything else will be added to you. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us online at portrait.church or you can find us on social media. We'll be meeting at the Mitten Building here in Redlands on Sundays, and we hope you enjoy this message. And we honestly hope one day we'll see you in person as well. Take care. Hey, happy new year. Officially. Let's try that one more time. Happy new year. All right, there we go. There we go. Well, if I have not had the chance uh, to meet you, if it's your first time here in person, or um, if you've seen us online, my name is Jay. I get the privilege of being the pastor here. It truly is an honor. Um, and it truly is a gift. Like every Sunday, I look around, and I look at the, the portraits of the people here. And I just realize everyone's portrait tells a story. And your story is so worthy to be heard because you've been created by the king of the universe, which I think is so incredible. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for starting your new year, like trusting us to show up in this space. Uh, I'm I'm assuming some of you, maybe your new year's resolution was like, I'm going to go to church. I'm not mad at that resolution. I'm glad you're here. You know, one of the most interesting things about—I've um, only been a pastor now, if you want to call it—with the official title, um, about a year—and I think it's so fascinating. Like uh, when I run into people or when I see people that I haven't seen in a while, most people are like, "Hey, Jay, so good to see you. Hey, man, you know, um, I haven't—you know—I've had a lot of stuff going on and I haven't been here, uh, but I'm coming. I'm coming." I hope to see you, you know what I mean? And here's the thing, here's the space that I want to create as your pastor. I'm not worried about your performance metrics of your attendance in church. I'm not worried about uh, how well you perform your Christianity. What we are concerned about here at Portrait is you seeing Jesus, being with him, becoming like him and eventually doing what he did. And so today, if you're new to this space, I just want to give you a little bit of insight into how I think about you, how our team thinks about you, and the spaces that we're trying to create. Because it's not a space to perform for God. It's a space to be formed by God. Amen. So the new year is often... A very high motivation time. People have new hopes. And part of the reason why that is, is uh, people describe what's called the uh, cyclical nature of time, which marking the start of a new year provides not only an emotional opportunity for renewal, but it also provides a psychological opportunity opportunity for renewal, growth and transformation. Which what that means is when a new year comes there's a lot more optimism. There's a lot more hope. There's a lot more, "Oh, I'm excited." Like some of y'all y'all eat really bad on New Year's Eve cuz psychologically you're just excited when January 1st comes. And then you realize you still got to go to another party and they ain't serving kale and celery, you know what I mean? It's like wings, and so then it's like, okay, January 2nd, right? And so the new year, it comes with psychological factors that, that something intrinsically inside of us is hopeful for something new. And a lot of times we create goals or we create new priorities or we create these moments based off of, if, and a lot of times we're not honest about it, based off of like fear, based off of like a discontent, right? So many of you, man, this is like the year that you finally gonna, man, you gonna get out of debt. You gonna build up that retirement. But if you're honest, some of that intrinsically is because you're fearful of like having enough for the future. Maybe you're fearful of leaving something behind for those uh, that that you are um, overseeing, whether it's like family members or kids. Um, You're super concerned about your health because there's there's maybe this fear that, oh man, like you've had health situations. And honestly, maybe it's fear of dying. If, if I'm being honest, from 2022 up until now, one of the biggest fears that I've had to navigate through just a botched uh, knee surgery and getting infected and going through uh, hospital visits is, I, I, have a, I have this wrestle with the fear of dying and leaving my kids without a dad, if I'm being honest. And so the new year tends to bring like this renewed sense of hope and joy. But what happens when you don't really feel it or when you mess up? I love this image of, uh, it's this Kintsugi art. I have a picture of it. It's Japanese art. And what it is, it's, it's art that displays a repairing of a broken pottery it's mending the areas of breakage through what's called this golden joinery, this golden repair. And so rather, the thing I love about this art is rather than disguising the breakage or the attempting to restore the object to its original state, what this type of art accentuates is that the breaks and the repairs are part of the story and they're part of something new and beautiful. And so when we consider our world today, many of you, you started the new year, you have high ambitions, you have high goals, and a lot of our ambitions and goals are centered around something that could potentially be broken in our lives or something that needs to be fixed. And I want you to know that we serve a God who is making all things new. So the brokenness that you show up into church is not something that you need to hide, it's something that God wants to redeem. And so we are starting a new series as we start the new year. And I know uh, I, I've learned from watching. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been so thankful that I didn't start being a pastor in 2020. Can I just be honest with you? So thankful I didn't start then, okay? Because one of the things I noticed back then, and, and this is what happens a lot of times, I think potentially in churches and in marketing schemes, is, hey, oh man, new year is a new vision for your life. Remember 2020? What are they calling it? 2020 vision. Yeah. Did we see clearly that year? No. And so the temptation to draw people into a a new church in a new year is to tell you, oh, we got a 10-step game plan to make sure that you have the best year possible. So you accomplish all your wildest dreams. But I don't have that for you today. What I have for you today is something that I believe will transform your life, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, something that can transform your life. Because I think and I echo Francis Chan, who had this quote that says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding in life and things that actually don't matter. You see, if you are watching online um, for our New Year's Eve service, my opening question, one of my opening questions that I, want us, that I wanted us to consider then, I want us to consider now, is at the end of 2024... If God were to hypothetically bless all of your goals, all of your vision, all of your dreams, your vision board, and all that, you know, the thing that you put together, whatever the case may be, your printer's board, whatever it is, if God were to hypothetically say, Man, you know what? I wanna, I wanna be kind, I wanna give you everything that your heart desires, would his kingdom advance or would your little kingdom grow? Let's be honest. That's not what the world is pointing you to do in a new year. Oh, man, they love, like marketers love New Year's because they know psychologically every single one of you is looking to change in some way, somehow. But I want to make a point today, and as we start this brand new series, that I want to draw us in to seek first the kingdom of God. First, the new year. We ain't got no gimmicks It's the kingdom. So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, and would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Jesus is in the middle of a conversation. Some would call it a sermon, a sermon on the mount. And he is giving his blueprint to his kingdom, and I will talk more about what that is, but he's given it to a people who are desiring to live in this kingdom. And in this blueprint, listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes, material things? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like these. If that's how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Check that out. He knows that you need them. He knows, but everything changes from this point. This conjunction shifts the whole thing. Hey, don't worry about all these things. I know you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Somebody say all. All. Oh, y'all said that like it was some. Say all. all, all. Therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own right? Somebody felt that. Oh my gosh. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now in this moment, as we start our new year, the first service of Portrait Church in 2024, our aim, our goal is to seek your kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What if, what if the only goal you and I made what if the only thing on your vision board said, seek first the kingdom? What if that was the only thing that we said? I think if we're honest, some the tension that we probably sit in is like, well, is that, is that grand enough? Is that good enough? You see, the hard part, and we, we get a sense of what Jesus is getting at in this text and what tends to be the, the issue of our day is, we operate from a self-preservation mindset. How can we preserve ourself? We're focused on our needs, our safety, our survival, our security, our well-being. And what ends up happening when you're so concerned with self-preservation, you center your needs, your interests, your security, your comfort. Jesus is like, hey, I know all these things matter, but... I want you to choose the way of selflessness, and I want you to seek first my kingdom. The problem is our world loves to invite you to seek your own kingdom. Uh, we have an image of our seek first um slide this is this is the the visual that we want to to remind everyone of and we want to have it displayed because this visual if we go back to the Japanese art, what this visual is reminding us here is you know it's interesting because like i, I it's interesting because I often hear the phrase oh man, we live in such a messed up and broken world. I'm like, why do we keep saying that like we're surprised? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, we, like oftentimes when I hear people say, oh my gosh, I can't believe how messed up our world is. Like, it's been like that since the beginning of time. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you just need to turn off your Instagram for a minute. I don't know. But we act surprised by the brokenness of the world. But Jesus, oh, what I love about Jesus, is it in, At the end of Revelation, it's, it says that he's coming to make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. But until then, you and I, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have orders from our king to seek first the kingdom, to go and make disciples, to go and love God and love people. You see, metaphorically, seeking first the kingdom is like the gold that is, that is helping form beauty in the cracks of a broken world. You see, our tagline here um, is that we want to create a compelling community in a broken world. When when people look at it, it's like we're not hiding our flaws. We're not hiding our brokenness. But they see something so compelling and beautiful and they're like, yo, I want to know what that is. But the problem is, if we are not seeking first a kingdom life, do people even ask questions and are curious about how you live your life? And so many of us, if I were to ask you, and this is I'll be honest, this was something that I I didn't have an answer to for most of my Christian life. So this is not a question of judgment. This is not a question of like, we're going to see how good you do on this test. It's not like that. But if, if I were to ask you, what is the kingdom of God? Like, would you have an answer? Like, would you be able to define what the kingdom of God is? If you say, well, the kingdom of God is a church. It's, I'll be honest, it's much bigger than the church. It's much bigger than you. So part of the reason why we don't seek first the kingdom is we don't even know what we're seeking. We don't even know how to define it. You have to, be able to know the de- You have to be able to know the destination And where the location is in order to get there. And so the problem is, everyone has it. We seek our own kingdoms. And this was found in Genesis. And if you've ever been around us long enough, you know that we love to refer back to Genesis. Because this is where all the core stuff happened. This is where everything happened. It's a link. It's a hyperlink. So when you read the grand narrative of Scripture, you have to let Scripture interpret itself. We don't take verses and then take them out of context and say, well, this is, this is how we apply it. No, 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 we, we take this verse and we, we apply it to see what the, what the whole story in the picture is painting here. And so in Genesis, we see this. We see this kingdom, it's paradise. There's a king walking, his name is God. Everything is so good and he has humanity and everything is really good. But then all of a sudden, humanity is deceived by one who was with God in his kingdom, but decided that he was going to choose his own. And so he would fall from God's kingdom and his name is Satan. He's the evil one, the prince of the heirs, as some call. He's, he's, oftentimes we don't have a, a true understanding of Satan and his schemes, But his scheme, and he does it here with Adam and Eve, is to make them, and it's to make you and I, it's to make us think that God's kingdom is not worth living for. That we actually are going to be better planners, better designers of life than God. So all of a sudden, when they decide selfishness over selflessly following the king, all humanity and their relationship with God is completely shattered. And so it's so, it's shattered so much so that murder and and injustice and all these things, sin begins to trickle down into now this narrative story. And so God would choose this man named Abraham, a very unlikely man in this sense. And he would say, Abraham, I'm gonna use you and I'm gonna start a whole new kingdom people the people of Israel, I'm going to get y'all out of slavery. I'm going to deliver you into the promised land. Man, all the stars, brother, you ain't, you can, you ain't even going to be able to count all the stars, how many people I'm going to have coming after you, not coming after him like he's a fugitive or anything, but y'all know what I mean, right? So, but then from that moment on, God, the king, is trying to, to use this kingdom people to display to a watching world how to operate differently. But what happens is he is time after time just partnering with other human kings and they all mess up. David, yo, David, there's a guy named David in the Bible. If, you, if you're not familiar, David, he was close. Like David was a man after God's own heart. But the thing with David is he got into, what did Jada Pickett say? Uh, an entanglement. David got into an entanglement with a girl named Bathsheba. Thus proving again that God could not trust human kings. So then you read it all through the Old Testament again. It paints this narrative picture. There's going to be a coming king. It's going to be a coming Messiah. John in uh, Matthew 3 he talks about this coming Messiah. He says, yo, yo, repent for the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. And so he does that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus gets baptized by John. And when Jesus comes out of the water, God's like, yo, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus doesn't go start doing ministry in the crowds. He goes to a lonely, desolate place. He fasts. He doesn't eat for 40 days. Then the enemy again comes. And you know what? You know what Satan tempts Jesus with? He tempts him with basic need and necessity, bread. Hey Jesus, you man, brother, 40 days. I got some, I got some good Olive Garden bread sticks. You know them things don't run out. Like, just take the bread. Jesus says, no. He quotes scripture, man, shall not live on bread alone. Then he takes him to a high place. And what he's doing is, like, hey, just fall down. Like surely your heavenly father loves you. And, and what he's doing here again is now he's, he's testing Jesus' basic needs. Now he's testing Jesus' security and identity. The, God had just said, this is my son whom I'm pleased with. And now Satan's like, oh, are you sure? Go ahead and fall down. See if he catches catch you. And then this is what Satan's after, his final tactic. He says... Look, look out. Look at all the kingdoms. It's almost like it, I, when I read it, I almost get like this scene from like, you know, the Avengers or like, you know, Tony Stark, he got all these like crazy gadgets and he throws his gadgets out. And then it's just, it's just all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan's like, hey, I'll let you have all those kingdoms if you just fall down and worship me. Fall down and worship me. See, some of y'all don't know it. But Satan has metaphorically thrown little kingdoms in your view. And he is telling you to worship him. But you don't know it because you're too busy worshiping yourself. That's how he gets you. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus knows that the way he is going to bring and introduce the kingdom is a way like no other. It's through a way of suffering. Jesus would get out of this wilderness moment, and the very first thing he does in Matthew four seventeen, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the, say it together, kingdom of heaven has come near. In other parts of the Gospels, it says the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus knew that the kingdom he was bringing was through the way of suffering and and suffering love. So imagine... Jesus now, that's the start of his ministry. At the end, when Jesus gets crucified, he dies. He flexes on death and raises again. Sorry, flex means to to be like a boss over, to uh, show that you have power over, okay? So um, he didn't like show his muscles, although he probably could have, um, but you get the picture. So what he does is, as soon as he, check this out, As soon as Jesus rises from the dead, reveals himself in Acts 1.3, it says, "After, After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking about what? The kingdom of God. He didn't come and say, hey, y'all, I got this cool new church service that we about to put on over here. I'm about to show everybody my holes and scars. And I, I'm not about to do that. He doesn't come and say, hey, let me give you these three steps to overcome death at a small fee of $500 for three payments. No, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I have come to speak about the kingdom of God. And so the tension that you and I live in and that people lived in during that day is when Jesus spoke about this kingdom, he said, it has come, but also it has not yet fully arrived. Not yet fully come to fruition. You see, the beauty when you think about that Japanese art is the gold it could be Kingdom people bringing God's kingdom to a broken world. But one day, that thing is going to be completely gold. It's going to be completely made new. But it's not going to be human hands. It's going to be from the hands of the creator. It says there's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more crying, no more weeping, no more evil. And so that's the tension that you and I live in today. And so as we consider what on earth is the kingdom of God, how do we define the kingdom? We have to understand that the kingdom, it's referring to God's overarching authority and control over everything on the earth. It is his active rule. Siri's trying to get me to see see how Satan be working. Satan be working through Siri his active rule rather than just his physical territory. God's kingdom is God himself ruling his people, giving them all the privileges and all the responsibilities of the kingdom. God's kingdom is greater than any singular church. That's why if you've ever been around us, we say one of our values is we seek the kingdom over the empire. We are more about God's kingdom advancing in the Inland Empire than us just having a really big church. We partner with other churches. Man, Pastor Josh from Pathway Church, a mile down the road came and gave a great message. And at the end of it, I was like, yo, if y'all like him better, go with him. If he's gonna help you advance the kingdom more than me, yes, I want kingdom advancement. That's what we want. George Ladd has this quote. He says, the kingdom is God's universal rule, his sovereignty over all the earth, his reign over all the earth. Another way of putting it, the kingdom is whenever and wherever God gets what he wants. You see, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And the problem is, this idea of rule and reign, authority, these terms in scripture, these are these are uh these are like people who lead over it. This is like high authority. This is like someone that we look to as the standard for who we get all of our rules and and the things that we do. And the problem of our day is many people will look at stuff like this and be like, yo, Jesus is kind of authoritarian. I don't like that, telling me what I got to do and all these things. Because we have placed too much trust and confidence in human kings that we don't trust the sovereign King. So many of y'all, have. you've heard of so many scandals, especially within the church, of leaders, people in authority. Many of you probably experienced that in your own homes growing up, in the workplace. Many of you don't trust leaders. And I, I can't blame you for that. But what I'm trying to give you a picture of is that this king, this leader, he's not like anyone you've ever experienced. Jesus wasn't your typical king. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born to what many say are parents who were essentially kind of like peasants. He didn't come as a conquering king and have this army like many people thought. He came and taught enemy love. So different. That was his goal. When everyone thought, oh, the way you're going to overcome the Roman Empire, surely is going to be showing up on your white horse with a full-on army. He shows up on a donkey. Like, I just want you all to think, you laugh because of how silly it is, but that's how upside down the kingdom of God is. It's upside down. He taught enemy love so much that his goal was not to defeat his enemies. His goal was to die for his enemies. What kind of leader that you know would ever do that? We're, in his kingdom, it says that the, the last are first and the first are last. And all our assumptions about what leads to a good life and fulfilling life, he calls into question because he knows what our deepest, and, like, he knows what our deepest longings and desires are. His kingdom is different. His kingdom is where the powerful serve the weak where the wealthy give to the poor, where the lonely are set in communities, where the tax collector is invited to an open table, where the sick are healed, where the leper is loved, where the demonized are set free, where those who are entrenched in sin and addiction are set free. That is the kingdom of God. Like, I know there's many of you here, the reason you set goals in the beginning of the year is because you're addicted to stuff. And you do it every single year and you go through this cycle. And what he's trying to say is, no, no, no. If you seek first my kingdom, let me tell you about my kingdom. People are freed. People are healed. Like, I think that there are miracles, actual miracles, waiting on the other side of 2024 by you seeking first the kingdom. Many of us don't even believe in miracles anymore. And I would argue it's because we don't seek his kingdom. We don't believe in people actually being healed. We don't believe that these things are possible because we don't seek his kingdom. This kingdom where agape love, this unconditional ultimate love is expressed through peace, through justice, through generosity, through compassion. It doesn't look like the Julius Caesars of the, of the Roman Empire. It sure don't look like Biden. It sure don't look like Trump and anyone in his king or anyone else. His kingdom doesn't look like Rome. It doesn't look like the United States of America. Yet some people. So it happens when you pledge allegiance for a long time. And then you don't pledge your allegiance to this true king. True king. So could it be that we do not experience the favor of the kingdom because we don't seek it? And it's okay because some of you don't know about it until right now. And God is inviting you to it. Because I need you to believe that God's plan for you is so far better than the plan that you have for yourself. And it takes faith to believe that you and I could participate And seeking his kingdom and seeing his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his authority show up in spaces where you live, where you work, where your kids go to school, where your kids play at the park, where you go to the gym. You can take, as a follower of Jesus, God's kingdom authority, God's kingdom rule, and you can be an ambassador and take it to any of these places. You wanna talk about purpose. Many of you are struggling with purpose in your job because you actually haven't asked the question, God, how do I seek first the kingdom while working in this crazy place with these crazy people? Oh, he'll give you purpose real quick if we seek first his kingdom. And so how you and I can participate, I think one of the best ways to do that is through the local church. It's through the church. You know, part of our vision is to give people not just a renewed picture of Jesus, but a renewed picture of the church. And I need to help you. I I need to remind you the type of church that when we think about what the church should be, who we are and who we're not. First up, we're not a country club. It's not exclusive for the affluent. The kingdom of God does not skip over socioeconomic lines or ethnic boundaries. The kingdom of God knows how to uh, be a bridge between two freeways where there is redlining and things like that separating people of different socioeconomic statuses and background and ethnicities. Kingdom of God does not pass over anybody. I, I was hoping we get a couple, amen. I, I just like, I'm like, yo, that's good. Like this is God, his kingdom. The church is not a country club and it's certainly not a service provider. Where it, you just come, you find a common need or whatever it is you desire. And I get it. That's how a lot of churches are set up. And that's where, you know, and I understand many people come from different church backgrounds. One of the number one questions is hey, tell me about all the things that you have to offer here at Portrait. Hey, we offer Jesus. That's not, oh, that's not enough. I, help me understand here. That's not enough. I, I, I thought that was enough. That's what, we, that's what our team was called to do, is offer Jesus. But you want like 20 different minutes? I'm like, yo, we just getting started. We're trying to get people a new picture of Jesus and get on mission for him to advance his kingdom. But y'all want to sit in classes and go to ministries and then you show up in your workplaces and all that. You don't advance any kingdom but your own. You see, we have to, we have to understand what the church is. And the reason we're talking about the kingdom is because we as a church have a way in which we want to operate. Many of you have iPhones, which you're intelligent people for doing that. I don't, I don't understand. I honestly don't understand Android people, but that's neither here nor there. That's a different sermon. I just, it's okay if you guys, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Stay, say, say, stay. stay, stay. <laughs> Good Lord. But here's the thing. Most people are in love with the apps of the phone. And then over time, you lose value on your apps don't even run if you ain't got the operating system. You love apps. Oh, you love all the different things, but you don't value the operating system. Well, for us, we value the operating system. And the operating system is the kingdom of God. It's not apps. We're not worried about that. We're worried about how all of us think and live and are going to operate because it doesn't matter if you go through a three-step class and then you don't take the kingdom to where you live, work, and play. It doesn't matter. The kingdom is our operating system. And so instead of a service provider or a country club, I want you to see the kingdom as an embassy. What do I mean by that? Well, if you ever seen the movie Safe House, one of the greatest, I would argue, the greatest actor of all time, Mr. Denzel Washington... Yes, yes. And then some of y'all ladies probably love Ryan Reynolds, so I'll just include him in there. He's in there too. Denzel, yes. But Denzel is a former rogue operative named Tobin Frost. And Ryan Reynolds plays a CIA agent who was sent to South Africa to make sure that he stays, Denzel stays in this safe house. Well, that safe house gets raided in South Africa. Mind you, they're US citizens. And he's set free. And Denzel escapes because, you know, Denzel does Denzel like things and just a couple bam, bam, bam. And he even be blind when he does stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy. Y'all watch that. What's that movie, Book of Eli? I was sorry. I might have just ruined that. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. He could see the whole time, (laughs) he could see the whole movie. But there's this scene, cause he's escaping the safe house and Denzel, it's like, where is Denzel going? He's in South Africa. Well, do you know where he goes? He finds the U.S. Embassy. And it's this crazy, it's like this intense scene. But as soon as he gives the U.S. Embassy official his ID, it's like the music shifts, the scene changes, and Denzel and his, you know, Denzel likeness, he just looks back like, y'all ain't getting me in here. And you see the guys running up and they stop because they know that when he's in the embassy, he's protected. Because the embassy is an institution that represents one nation inside of another nation. It declares that it's home nation's interests to the host nation. And it protects the citizens of the home nation living in the host nation. So he knew when he went to the embassy that he was protected. And so friends, I'm here to remind you of the famous words of a Jewish rabbi named Jesus. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not where servants would fight so that they would be handed over to the Jews. No, my kingdom ain't from here. We don't fight, we have enemy love. And you and I, the church, could be an embassy because so many of y'all got too much citizenship in the United States of America, not the kingdom of God. You need to have a passport here and you gotta have an ID over here. The problem is some of y'all living on passports for God's kingdom. He's like, look, fam, I'm trying to get you to get a real ID. I need to get mine next month. Some of y'all, that was a reminder. Some of y'all, that was a reminder. I didn't even have that in the notes. That was God. It just reminded me. It literally just reminded me. That mug's about to expire. I'm not gonna be here. I'm gonna be shipped to South Africa. The church's function is to be God's kingdom vehicle on earth. We are to be his vehicle on earth. We are to serve as an embassy because when all the things of the world are attacking you, you know you can go to the church. You know that you are protected in God's community to be loved on and cared for. But the problem is if you've experienced church hurt, you're like, that don't sound appealing at all. And I just want to tell you, hey, we're going to be here. And we're ready to journey with you on that. But if I'm being honest, you're not gonna get any type of protection in the kingdom of God outside the church. The church has the greatest capacity to restore and heal everything that's going on in your life through the work of Jesus, but it also has the greatest capacity to hurt you like no other. And that is the risk of being in the church, if I'm honest. The local church enables the world to look upon the canvas of God's people and see an authentic painting of his love and holiness, not a forgery. The way people would study bills, they wouldn't look at fake ones. They would look at real ones all day long because they would want to know what the real ones are look like. When people look at your life, when they look at my life, when they and I, my prayer is when they look at this church, they say, yo, that's the real thing. That's the real thing. That's not a knockoff. And so you and I have an opportunity to take this kingdom into every area of our life. Being kingdom-minded people says we make all our decisions, all our priorities, Everything we do, we filter through. God, is this seeking your kingdom and does it advance it? Many of you need to go back to your New Year's resolutions and you need to ask the question and sit. God, when I do this, is it seeking your kingdom? The promotion that I want, do I want it just for more comfort or security or am I seeking your kingdom? Because many of you, your goal is to get more money this year and that's fine, it's all good. Please get more money, but advance the kingdom while you do it. Because many of y'all get more money, and then you get more stingy. You get more things, and then you become less generous. You see, if we're not careful, the things that we end up pursuing end up making us self-centered and not seek the kingdom. So the disciples in Matthew 18, and I'll end here, and I can, we can have the band come up. In Matthew 18, they say, they're asking him, God, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus being such a such a wise teacher he calls a little child over and he stands among them he says truly I tell you unless you return turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven therefore whoever humbles himself like this child this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one like welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. He brings a child. He doesn't bring a person of power, of status. He brings a humble child. Friends, one of the most powerful things that you and I can do is surrender our ambitions to the king. Is to humble ourselves and declare him to be the king over everything. The king of the Kingdom. When he asked the disciples, yo, who is it that that you say that I am? They're like, yo, you're the one. You're the Messiah. You know what Jesus' response is? I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Some of you are trying to get into doors and you don't have have the right key. And God is trying to get your attention to say, man, my kingdom is here, but it's going to have to come through the seed of humility. Because when he came, he says, repent. Repent first and then seek the kingdom. And I understand that word repentance has a lot of layers to it. But what he's essentially saying is, can you stop seeking your kingdom? And can you turn and seek mine?